Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Jonah 1, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose on on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing, sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? for the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, so it may quiet down for you, for I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Well, hello, every person. It is uh, great to see you all tonight. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God who speaks to us and you speak to us in your word. Father, we thank you for it. And we pray now as we come to look at this chapter that you would uh, help us to hear it as it actually is, as it's your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand it. And we ask that so that we would become more and more the people that you would have us be. We pray that. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, sometimes things play out the opposite of the way that you would normally expect them to. Sometimes, you know, you walk into an exam and you feel confident and like you can do this and you open it up and it's like, I don't know how to answer any question on this paper. 
or sometimes you walk in and you feel, you know, confident and, and you answer stuff and it's all going well. And then as you walk out, people are like, those questions on the backside were crazy. And you're like, the, the what? The backside? And totally miss them. You know what it's like. Sometimes things turn out the opposite sometimes of the way that you expect them to. You walk into the boss's office and you're pretty sure that you are uh, expecting a promotion, but you get let go. Or you walk in expecting that this is the moment where everyone's going to find out how it is and uh, you're going to be let go, but they promote you instead. And it turns out in a surprising way. Sometimes, you know, you head in expecting the clean bill of health, but they call you back for some more tests. Or you head in expecting your cholesterol to be off the charts, but uh, it's actually pretty normal against all odds. Sometimes things turn out the opposite of the way that you expect them to. There's the person sometimes where you expect them to be powering on for the Lord Jesus and to stand for him and continue, but that person, for whatever reason, just sort of pitters out and they don't seem to be following Jesus at all anymore, let alone strong. And then there's sometimes others who you feel like they're not very, they're not going to last. This, it feels like it's just a fad and a phase, but they end up standing strong for the Lord Jesus for a long time. And, it's, and it's, it's not what you would have thought. Other times there are people where you just think, man, this, there is no way that this person would ever put their trust in Jesus, would ever become a Christian. No way, never. And then they do. And maybe even it's you. You think, man, if I knew myself back then, I would have said there's no way that I would ever put my trust in Jesus, and yet, here you are, here we are. Today, tonight, we're going to start our series on the book of Jonah. And this book is a book where things keep on happening that seem to be the opposite. Like, like Blake said earlier, things seem to happen different to the way that you would expect them to. The whole book feels like it's upside down. And this, this might be the book from the old, um, the old Testament that you, are, you feel most familiar with, most confident in. You know Jonah, you know how he gets eaten by the whale, you know this story, and maybe you feel like there's not much to learn here. Maybe you feel like there's, there won't be much that God has to show you. But I'm thinking that it just might turn out to be the opposite of what you expect. I'm thinking that no matter how much or how little you know about Jonah or about the Old Testament or God, that he is always ready to teach us things that maybe we don't know or that he's ready to be reminding us of things that we need to be reminded of. And so that's going to, I'm expecting that to happen tonight. So I hope that you're ready. Before we jump into this book, though, I want us to make sure we're clear on who this Jonah guy is. I mean, you probably know him as the one who gets eaten by the fish. If you think that Jonah is that one that gets eaten by the whale, then you are thinking of Pinocchio, 
right? That's Geppetto. Geppetto ends up, you know, playing cards on a little table with a little uh, candle. That's, that's not Jonah. That's Geppetto. Easy mistake to make. Jonah, if what you know about Jonah is from the book of Jonah, then you know most of the things, but you don't know all of the things because Jonah the book isn't the only time that Jonah turns up. He actually is also mentioned earlier in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 14, if you wanted to look that up um, later on and read it for yourself. 2 Kings 14, it's 782 BC, almost 800 years before Jesus arrives. And you might remember at this moment, God's people had been split in two, into two separate kingdoms, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. There was a new king. His name was Jeroboam, and he was king of Israel. And Jonah was his prophet. And he was probably a militaristic prophet. He was the one who would, you know, he would prophesy and tell the king when to go to war and when not to and how to fight, and the king would win. And that was, that was Jonah's job. And this, that's exactly what happened. Under Jeroboam, Israel's borders expanded almost to the point where they were almost as big as when they were under their peak, when, when Israel was at its best, strongest. And at this point, when Jonah's around, Israel had annexed the southern kingdom of Judah and made them a vassal state. What that means is that Judah was still an independent country, but they were ruled by Israel. And the reason why this is so important is because it means that if you were to kind of like squint and look at it a bit kind of sideways, it, would, it could look like Israel and Judah had been reunited, that these two nations that had split apart had actually come back again, which is a massive deal. And that happened under Jonah, which means that Jonah is a national hero, right? He's a national treasure in Israel. The way that Jonah relates to the nations around is through conquering. God's judgment comes on them and, and Israel expands their physical borders. That's, that's Jonah's job. So that's, that's Jonah. He's a complex guy. He's a prophet, very successful prophet, military prophet, a national hero. But when we come to the book of Jonah, his book, he is not the hero. He's maybe the main character, but he's not the hero of this story. Jonah is a surprising book. It's surprising because the whole book is about people doing the opposite of what you would expect them to. Everyone does the opposite. Even God kind of acts in a way that is surprising in a predictable kind of way. We'll talk about that when we get there. Let's, uh, 
jump in. Jonah chapter 1. We're just going to walk through this story. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. All right, let's just pause there. What are we, what are we talking about? Nineveh was the... Um, was where the king of Assyria lived. It wasn't the capital of the empire, but it was where the king lived. It's kind of like how our prime minister lives at Kira Billy House, but he works in Canberra. Kind of like that. The king lived in Nineveh, but he worked elsewhere. But it's a very important city. And at the time, in the 8th century BC, the Assyrian Empire were a cruel and a brutal empire. They were feared. They ruled through violence and through intimidation. They were kind of like the Nazis of the 8th century. Everyone feared them. Everyone hated them. They were cruel and brutal. And that's where God sends Jonah... And he says, go to them and preach against them because they're so wicked. Now, this should be Jonah's like bread and butter. This is like what he does. This is where he's great. There's a nation. They're wicked. God sends him preach against them. They go to war. They conquer them. Israel's boundaries expand. This is like his whole shtick. This is what makes him great. However, verse 3, it says, However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He runs away. And not just runs away, he runs in the opposite direction. Like if Nineveh is that away, Tarshish is that away. Just to help us get the picture, we'll put it on the screen. I drew this map. For those of you back there in the cheap seats, and up in the mezzanine, the um, Israel's over here. And then there's Nineveh up there. That's where he was supposed to go. And then all the way over here is Tarshish in Spain. It's a long way away. It's not just that he went the opposite. He went a long way the opposite to run away. This is, this is backwards. Here is a prophet, not just a prophet, the prophet, the national hero of Israel, running away from his God and doing the exact opposite of what he had been commanded to do and the opposite far away, Tarshish. And we're told that he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord like that's a thing that you can do, right? He's a prophet. Surely he would know God's everywhere. You can't flee from his presence, but that's what he tries to do. That's why he does this. It doesn't make sense. It feels weird, but that's what happens. So Jonah tries to run away. What does he do? Well, continuing verse three, it says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. 
And you read it and it feels like the author is saying it over and over again, just in case you missed it the first time. It's constant. And, and you can tell that the writer is trying to emphasize just how ridiculous this whole situation is. He's like, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. The whole thing is just opposite and, and, and strange. This is the national hero, right? Israel's pinup boy prophet running away from the Lord. And he gets on a boat and he's like, there's no way that God can follow me when I'm on a boat. Next, verse 4, we're going to see one of the strangest prayer meetings that you'll ever see. Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Right? The Lord is hunting his prophet. Verse 5, the sailors were afraid, and they each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Right? This is, this is serious. They're, they start to dump the cargo. Right? The cargo is the whole point of the ship. They're just throwing money overboard to try and make it work. And then they have an idea and they do an announcement that in the morning there's going to be a prayer breakfast and everyone's invited. And they all come and they're all praying to their own God and it's not working. And then suddenly one of them realizes that the prophet didn't show up to the prayer meeting. And they think to themselves, surely if anyone's going to turn up to the prayer breakfast, it's the minister. So second half of verse five, it says, meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Upstairs, it says, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots, then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. See what happens here? These non-Jewish sailors are quick to pray to their false gods and quick to seek repentance. Jonah does not. And the captain then explicitly asks him to pray to his God and Jonah does not. And so then they kind of work out that this must be the result of some judgment for some sin that they don't know about. And so they cast lots, which is kind of like drawing straws. They draw straws to figure out who among them needs to repent. And so then the end of verse 7 says, so they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. <laughs> what a surprise. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble 
we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? Right? They're panicking. You can hear it in, in, in the way that they talk, that this question after question, who are you? Where are you from? What, what business do you have? Where are we? Who am I? They just, it's just question after question, right? They're, they're freaking out. And so Jonah finally is forced to confess. And again, to see how like reluctant he is versus how willing they are. Verse nine, it says, he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid. And they said to him, what is this you've done? Because the men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. All right, there's a little piece of info that we didn't know. He's already told them that he's fleeing from his God. So he tells them who this God is, and it terrifies them. Why? Well, it's because they've prayed to every other God that they know of, and nothing happened. So then the next option was that this was all judgment for something from a God that they didn't know. And so they're like, our gods aren't doing anything, probably because they're not real. Oh, what's that? You're a prophet of a God that you're running away from, and he is the God who made the heavens and the dry land and the sea, and we're on a boat, and they start, they're starting to join the dots, right? And the dots are all like, we're all going to die. And so, verse 11, they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. Like again, see how quick these non-Jewish pagan sailors, how quick they are to act and repent to, and, and do whatever God wants. And compared to how resistant Jonah is to do anything that would help and how much it takes, anything that would obey the Lord. And then verse 12, Jonah finally says, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. And it's like, finally, it's such a weird thing that Jonah has now said it. It's a weird idea, but the sailors don't want to see Jonah dead. They, there's got to be another way. And so verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So into the water goes Jonah to go drown to death. And then the sea goes totally calm. Everyone is now saved. And again, see the difference between Jonah and these non-Jewish 
sailors, they pray to God, while Jonah never does. And the word here in verse 16 where the men feared the Lord even more, that's the same word in verse 9 where Jonah says, I worship Yahweh, same word. So these men, these non-Jews, it says they greatly worshipped the Lord, offered a sacrifice and made vows. Jonah doesn't do any of those things. The sailors do those things. This whole, the whole thing is backwards. Jonah is running away from the Lord and these non-Jews have come to the Lord. The act of Jonah's disobedience has been the catalyst for the salvation of these non-Jewish pagan sailors. And I just think, man, if Jonah knew that, he would be so mad that that had happened, that he had done something that would have caused them to be saved. He'd be so cross, but he's not thinking about that because he's in the water drowning to death. Everything in this thing is just upside down. The Israelite prophet is acting like a stereotypical pagan Gentile running away from the Lord, refusing to turn to him, a life full of disdain for others, whereas these non-Jewish pagans are acting like faithful Israelites are supposed to act. They're turning to the Lord, they're praying to him, they're sacrificing to him, they're having their faith shape their lives, they're showing grace and care for the foreigner among them. The whole thing is upside down. And we also see something else beginning to crack open that we won't fully see until chapter four. But at the start of this book, it seemed like the way that God related to all these other, you know, pagan Gentile nations was in judgment. And that was all. You know, go preach against them, go preach against Nineveh, judgment's coming. But as the chapter's gone on, we kind of get this glimmer that perhaps there's more to it. Perhaps there is other ways that God relates to the outsiders, the others, that he also relates to them with kindness and compassion and forgiveness and that perhaps there's an opportunity for those who are on the outside to be allowed in, and that perhaps there's room at God's table for his enemies. And we'll continue to see that more and more as the rest of this book kind of unfolds until it's going to fully break open in chapter four when we get there. But this is exactly what we already know in the Lord Jesus. Because most of us in this room are Gentiles, non-Jews, and we are the outsiders, and yet here we all are worshipping the God of Israel. There is room at God's table for his enemies, because that was me, that, that was us. 
But in Jesus, God has brought those of us who were outside in and, and has provided a strange solution to our problem in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. That enemies and sinners like us can be brought in and seated at God's table. Even those of us who have turned against the Lord, even those of us who have turned our back on him, even those of us who rejected him, even Jonah. Check out verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. I used to always think when I heard this that Jonah being inside the fish was punishment, judgment. But it's not. Jonah is drowning in the middle of the ocean. And God saves him with this fish, this, this disobedient prophet, the one who does everything he can to literally walk away from God. The one who refuses to pray, refuses to repent, and would literally rather die than turn back to God. But God, in his kindness and in his mercy, saves Jonah, even while he deserves to be thrown into the ocean and to drown all alone. God saves his prophet, who has become his enemy. Jonah, the Assyrians, the sailors, they're all not so different. All of them are common humanity. All of them are, in different ways, enemies of God. And all of them need to repent. All of them need to turn back to their God. But one of them doesn't. And it's the one who should have known better. And so as we start to bring this year in for landing and as you start to think about what am I going to do next year, what is next year going to look like, how am I going to live next year, what's church going to look like next year, what will I do different, what will I do more of, what will I do less of, as you think about all those things, there might be some things that you want to do or that you feel that maybe you should do and, and that's between you and God, right? There are some things that I'm going to do that's just between me and him. No one else needs to do them. It's just, gonna, it's just the thing that I'm going to do. But here's one thing that God wants all of us to do. And we've seen it in Jonah chapter 1. God wants each one of us to be quick repenters. We talked about this back at the start of the year in our Vital Signs sermons. Remember the um, faithfully following Jesus, the coconut? One of the parts of that, one of the parts of faithfully following Jesus was being a quick and continual repenter. Most of us, we're not normally quick and sometimes we're not even repenters. Repenting just means changing. It just means to change your mind and then change the way that you live. That's all it means. 
It means that when you notice or when something is pointed out to you that you need to change in order to line up your life to how God says it should be, to repent means that you start doing it. You, you line your life up. You stop doing one thing and you start doing this thing. And there might already be something that springs immediately to mind as you think about this. But for others of us, we might not be as aware. You might need more time to sit and reflect and pray and think about what this would look like. But for all of us, there will definitely be things to repent of. But here's, here's the key. Repenting once is just the start. Most of the time you'll repent and then you'll travel along for a bit and then you'll fall and you'll start to do that sin again or you'll stop doing the good thing that you wanted to start doing. That's normal. Not saying it's good, just saying it's, that's normal. The key is as soon as you realize that you've fallen, the key is to repent again and start again. And the idea is that over time, the length of time between when you repent and when you fall will start to get longer each time. That's the idea. That's normal. And then you'll see a new sin that you hadn't really seen before because you were focused on this one. And then you'll start lengthening that one out and repenting and falling and repenting again and lengthening it out. That's normal. And it's, and it's a constant process. The danger is when you stop repenting at all, right? That's dangerous. Repenting will be a constant thing. It'll be constant and continual and quick. Over the next three weeks, we're going to learn all kinds of other lessons from Jonah. And we're going to see this opposite to what you expect thing happening. And we'll see even more that God is a God who saves his enemies and relates to the outsiders. And it relates to his own people with grace and with patience. But the takeaway for today is to imitate the sailors and to be quick to repent, to be quick to pray, to be quick to ask, what should we do? And then to do it. Repentance is what God requires of us. Repentance is what we should do and we should do it quickly and we should do it continually. And so let the end of this year and let next year be a year of quick repentance for all of us, for preachers and for hearers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jonah and for this book. Father, we thank you for him, even in his foolishness and his disobedience. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for the way that you treated him not with um, cruelty, not with meanness, but with grace. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us as we have found grace in the Lord Jesus, that from that space, you would help us to repent and be continually and quickly repenting that we would more and more become the people that you have saved us to be. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.